I think we all like to hear the words, you're qualified or you qualify for. But um, I, I don't know if, if some of you are like me. Recently, I mean, I, I have won enough. I have qualified enough. I get calls all the time. Just got a call the day before yesterday, I guess it was, telling me that I had qualified for uh, four days and three nights stay in Orlando. And, I, and then they're going to send me to somewhere else. Then they're going to send me on a cruise with 75% off. And, uh, and I've got, you know, all this stuff. And Barb just said, pretty soon they're going to be calling us, telling us they're going to pay us to do this. Um, and the, the lady called this week and she said, I have got good news for you. And um, we like, you know, we like to hear good news, but uh, it, I don't think any of us like to hear the words, you don't qualify for this. I'm reminded of the incident that happened when uh, several years ago with me. I'm going to call the man's name David. He was a young professional and um, David was, uh, seemed to be doing well in his careers and everything. And uh, we were talking, and with his permission, I was able to share with him uh, who Jesus was to me and, and a little bit of my testimony. And as I shared my testimony, David seemed really interested, in, and I shared the gospel and what God had done. And I, and I looked at David, and I said, uh, would you be interested in, in knowing how you can find Christ as your Savior? Sure. And so as I began to share, I said, there's really, there's really only, you know, only three or four things that you need to do. And I said, first of all, you need to be willing to admit your need that you're a sinner and be willing to repent of your sin and trust him as your savior. And with that, this look come up on David's face and he began to shake his head. And he said, I just can't buy into that. I just can't buy into that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to accept this, this Adam's sin and all this stuff. And, and I remember thinking, wow. And so I looked at at David, and I said, then you don't qualify for God's forgiveness. And it's like you, it's like you took, you know, cold spring water, kind of doused him in the face. And he said, what do you mean I don't qualify? I said, well, you, you, you know, you're not, you, you don't, you're not, you don't need a savior. You, you tell me you don't need a savior. So if you don't need a savior, his forgiveness is only for those who realize they are lost and need a savior. Jesus ended in verse nine, chapter 9 last week. We, we left off with verse 12 and 13. Jesus had ended verse 13 with these words, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And indeed, as we've been making our way through Matthew, in chapter 3, verse 6, of, of, and early in the book, we see John the Baptist, as John came preaching a, a message of repentance. And uh, then in, in Matthew chapter four, Jesus would continue this, this message of repentance that, that he came, uh, preaching repentance. As we get to chapters five, six, and seven, we see this, this Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. It was in the Sermon on the Mount that as, he, as Jesus talks about this relational uh, uh, experience or, or a relationship with a, with, a, with a creator God that he's come to talk about. So different than the religions that they were used to. And he's talking about this. Then Jesus relates and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there's no way you're going to get to heaven. And what a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a shock that must have been to all who listened to it 
as realizing how do they qualify then? How do you qualify then? Because the scribes and the Pharisees worked at their religion. And indeed, religion will work you to death and get you no closer to God. But an encounter with the living Lord will bring you to a realization as we see ourselves as he sees us, and that's as needy individuals, lost and in need of a savior, in turmoil, alienated and separated from God and his holiness and his righteousness, and in need of peace. That's why we can qualify for a savior. And until you understand that, you'll never realize your need and you're never qualified. Now in chapter nine, Jesus continues that with that thought in the beginning of chapter nine, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of the four friends who brought their friend who was paralyzed uh, to see Jesus, knowing that Jesus could do something. And the house was full, they couldn't get to Jesus. So they tore the roof off, they let their friend down at Jesus' feet. And scripture says that Jesus looking and seeing the faith of these friends turned to the paralyzed man and said, your sins be forgiven you. Remember we talked about the greatest need, how that, that Jesus knew and he looked and the greatest need was not that he walk again, although that was, that was very obvious. And, ob and, and most likely a lot of them thought, well, that's his greatest need. You know, we look on the outside and we see as man sees and we see, well, maybe our greatest need is of a, of a car that won't break down every morning, that we don't have to jump off. Or maybe our greatest need is, is just to get caught up with our bills so that we can be on time. You know, we, we see all these things as greatest needs and they're great indeed. But the greatest need of any of our lives is the need of the heart. So Jesus looked at this man that was laying a cripple on a bed and he said, your sins be forgiven you. Huh! The people standing by thought, who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. How can you do that? And remember, it was in response to their criticism. And by the way, we're going to see uh, as we go through the Matthews, we go through the, as you look in the Gospels, um, kind of reminds you today, uh, somebody, somebody said in response to our president said, if you know, if, if he walked on water, the headlines the next day would be Trump can't swim. Uh, my, my daddy kind of had a, had a saying for that. Uh, dad said, some people are so hard to please, if you hung them with a new rope, they'd complain. Uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think the, the gist of that was you just can't satisfy some people. So these people seeing Jesus look at this man and say, your sins are forgiven, were, were just aghast and they were just crazy. And they said, he can't, he can't do that. They thought, no, he, you know, how, how dare he? He can't do that. Only God can do that. And Jesus, in response to their criticism and to their doubt, said, well, what do you think it's easier to do? To say to him, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your bed and walk. Now, they knew he was paralyzed. They could see that. They couldn't see the need of their heart, but our Savior did. And Jesus says, but so that you would know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, hey, big boy, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he did and he did. And so Jesus then realizing that and seeing that, they marvel because here in verse 13 now, and then Jesus calls 
Matthew to follow him. And Matthew follows him, and he throws a big party. Remember that? He gets up, he follows Jesus. He threw a big party. We talked about it last week. And Matthew invites all his friends, all the people that he, that he associated with. They were, the, they were the riffraff. You know, they were the people that nobody else, they wouldn't invite them to the country club. They wouldn't invite them to their party. They, one translation called them the scum. And so they're in Matthew's house, and Matthew's went all out. He's excited. Jesus has called him to a career change, to a life-changing opportunity of following him and learning of him. Jim, I love it. Jim said he was mentoring Shane, and Jesus said to Matthew, come on, big guy, I want to mentor you. Mentor you. I'm gonna, you want to learn of me by following me. And as Jesus sits in Matthew's house, they are partying big time. Matthew is excited. He is, I can imagine, steaks, T-bones. It's about lunch time, so I don't want to get started talking about food. I'll go there. But, but I mean, Matthew is, is, is not, he is not, you know, he is splurging. This splurging. This is a party of all parties. Matthew is excited. And on the outside of the party, not daring to come in and be associated with them, stood the scribes and the Pharisees, religious people. And they were saying to Jesus' disciples as he went in and out, as they went in and out, are you really going to associate with, with that teacher? Look at him. Look at him in there. Look at him in there with them partying. You're going to hang out with him after he hangs out with these kind of people? And Jesus would say to them in verse 13, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a, uh, Rejection of the self-righteous. But what an invitation for sinners. That's the good news of the gospel. That to me, that is the heart and soul of the good news of the gospel. I, I think now it's interesting to me here, I'm just going to just a little bit later on in, Matt, in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, starts off with, with this. It says, Then drew near unto him, to Jesus, all the publicans and the sinners to hear him. Why do you think the publicans and the sinners came to hear Jesus? Because he had something that they needed. And they knew they needed it. And they knew that he had come for them. Wow. Last week when I, uh, when I finally got, I think it was in second service, that I, I really, I got Nicodemus and Zacchaeus all jumbled up. I had Nicodemus up a tree and Zacchaeus somewhere else. But it was Zacchaeus that was a wee little man, right? He was a short sinner. He was a short publican. He was a short tax collector crook that had beat people out of money. He was a guy that Jesus said, come down today, I'm going to your house. I love that. Jesus just invited himself home with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus gladly received him. And in Luke chapter 19, as Jesus and Zacchaeus, as they shared, here he is sitting in another sinner's house, talking, and Jesus would say these words in Luke chapter 19. He says this, and Jesus said to them, this day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham, look at this now, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save sinners, the worst of them, who knew that they needed saving. 
and those who would be willing to repent to grant and offer forgiveness of those sins. Now, it's in this context that I want us to take a look at verses 14, 15, and 16, and 17 of Matthew 9. These verses, when I first read this, it, you know, it's like you're reading along and, and everything's going along, and then all of a sudden, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and it's like, why did they stick them in there? I mean, you ever read scripture like this? You're reading along, everything's making good sense, and all of a sudden, it's like, all right, God, I guess you had a reason for sticking them in there. Maybe, maybe it's a translation error. Maybe they're supposed to go somewhere else. They don't fit here. But it's in this context that these verses fit beautifully, beautifully, because Jesus came to offer salvation to all who qualify. And I want us to look at it. I want us to look at it. Um, it was back in, in chapter three when John the Baptist had, uh, had, was preaching and Jesus came to him to be baptized and John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And John said, hey, this is, this is the one I've been preaching about. He's here now. He's gonna increase, I must decrease. But when we get to verse 14 in, in chapter nine of Matthew, then came to Jesus, the disciples of John, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast a lot, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus had pointed out to them the truth. He's here, it's Jesus. This, this, is, this is him. Jesus now, I mean, John, John had pointed out to, to, to them Jesus. John, in, in chapter four, John now is thrown in prison. And even though John recognized the truth, his disciples were close to the truth, but they still hadn't recognized it. Not quite there. And their question in verse 14 just tickles me pink. Look at this. Tickles pink. We used to say that growing up. I, 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 it just tickles me, okay? <laughs> John's disciples come to Jesus, and, and, and the question is, why are we fasting so much and your, your disciples aren't? Now, in a way, that what they were asking is, why is your way so different than our way? They were, they were relating what they were doing to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious dudes around that everybody could think about. I mean, they had to be religious. They went around wearing these long robes and their faces looked like they were miserable. They had to be religious, you know? And so, and, and, and the, kind of the essence of the Jewish religion was, was at least three things. It was, it was fasting, it was prayer, and it was giving of alms. And these were three things that could easily be seen, be measured, be judged by others. And in, in matter of fact, in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of his message of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses each one of these. The giving of alms, the praying, and, and, and fasting. And in addressing them in that sermon, Jesus, Jesus just, just turns the light on and opens it wide open and says, hey, look. Why do you do that? It's okay to do that. It's okay to, matter of fact, it's okay to fast. It's okay to pray. It's okay to give. But why do you do it? That's, what, that's, what, that's what's critical. What's your motive behind that? If you're given to be seen of men, then you got your reward. 
If you're praying to be heard and for people to say, boy, he can pray a pretty prayer or she can pray a pretty prayer, what's a big whoop? If you're fasting so that people look at you and say, boy, they must be religious. Look how pitiful they look. Then, then he said, you know, he says, Where is, where's your heart? These were all outward rituals that were so important to their religion. And so they were asking Jesus, how come your disciples don't do what we do? What's different? They're like many people of today, I think. They were relating or equating the religious to ceremony and to ritual, not to humility and not to repentance of sin. Wow. I thought about this. Hey, we, we, can, we can go to church, and please don't take this as, a, as something and saying, don't come to church, okay? But I'm saying we can go to church, we can sing songs, we can raise our hands, we can even pray a prayer, and we can be just as, as in the dark as John disciples were and say, why are we doing what we do? We can do all that really without any connection to our sinfulness to our need of repentance. So they were asking, why is your way so different? Why is your way so different? And Jesus' answer is tremendous. Jesus' answer in verse 15 and 16 and 17 is absolutely tremendous. Notice what he says. He said, can the, Jesus answered them in verse 15, can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, the children of the bridegroom is an interesting, interesting combination. Weddings, uh, at, at this time, weddings usually lasted a week. It was a week celebration. Boy, Jim and Terry, that would be different than meeting up there in a the beautiful Christmas courthouse. It's a week, a week celebration. And the groom would pick his closest friends, and they would be children of the bridegroom, okay? And their responsibility was this. Their responsibility was to keep the party going, okay? The groom is going to be busy. He and the bride, the groom and the bride, they're in the they're wedding here. But the children of the bride chamber, his, their responsibility is to be sure that all the guests and all the friends and all the families, to be sure they were having a good time, to be sure the food never run out, and to be sure that the party kept going. And Jesus said, what about if you came to a wedding celebration and the guys who are supposed to be keeping the party going are sitting over there and they're grieving and they're mourning and they're, and they're, and they're just, you know, they're, they're, just, they're, they're fasting. Well, I said, well, that wouldn't be right. And Jesus says, no, that's not right. And he says, right now we're partying. I'm here. And he said, they're celebrating. They're celebrating. My disciples are celebrating because that which they have longed for, that which they've looked for is here and they're celebrating. He said, but the time will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken from them. Now that term there, shall be taken from them. And the implication here is by, you know, that it's going, to be, it's going to be a tearing away. Referring to his crucifixion. Jesus' life wasn't taken, but he lays it down. But the world, I'm sure, and the religious leaders thought that they had finally, they had taken it by force. Jesus said, you don't take it, I lay it down. But he said, then those days, in those days, there's going to be some fasting. And there's going to be fasting. But he says, what right now, what's going on right now is your ritual, your fasting is so out of sync with reality. It doesn't even make sense. 
It wouldn't make sense to mourn in the the middle of a wedding ceremony. How out of place that would be. You can crank out your routines regardless of what God is doing in your midst. If we aren't careful, we can get so hung up on doing church that when the Holy Spirit shows up and is doing a new thing and a great thing, it's like, okay, we know what's going on. We got to do church. Okay, we'll do church. Jesus continues on. Look in verse 16. Makes all kinds of sense. He says, no man puts a peach, a peach, a peach. <laughs> King James sometimes getteth me stone. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. I'm going to put that in Jerry Hilton English, okay? All right. A lot of the clothes were made, a lot of them were made from wool. Uh, I don't know if they had clothes made from cotton. May have. But, but they would make the garments, they would make them large, larger, because what would happen? As you wore them, people knows, people knows what happened. They shrink. Shrink. What not wash and wear. Is that what you said? Wash and shrink. We've got some of those. I've got some of those clothes in my closet. Wash and shrink. I went in there to put on a pair of those this morning. They washed and shrunk. Okay? I just don't make them like they used to do. Numbers mean, sizes mean nothing anymore. Okay? So he washed his right. Jesus said, you've got a robe. You've been wearing it for, for a couple of years here. You've washed it. And as you've washed that robe, you've noticed how when you first bought it or when you first made it, it was kind of big. But as you've worn it, now, it's, it's, now it fits you perfectly. But if there's a hole, if you get it torn and there's a hole and you're going to patch that, that thing up, you put a piece of unshrunk cloth on that garment that's used and worn. And what happens when you wash it? Then the new patch begins to shrink and it tears a hole in your garment and the, the latter end of that is worse because the hole is bigger now because the patch torn out. Now, I, I, I'm sure they're thinking there and they're thinking, wow, now, you know, but I wish Jesus had just come out and told them this. I ain't going to be a patch for a broken religious system. Wow. He's not... He's not going to be a patch to fix up that which don't work in the first place. They had got very comfortable with with their rituals, with their ceremony. They could look at the outward. They could do all this. But Jesus said, hey, there is a new thing in town. He is talking about a relationship with with the creator God as friend to friend. He's not talking about some religion that you got to work for. He's talking about a relationship that God has taken the initiative in and that he has sent his son to the world. Through him, we have that relationship. And he said, I'm not going to be a patch on the old cloth. He goes on. I mean, you listen to this, and then it's it's like, oh, my goodness. He's seen all this stuff. Look at what he says. He says, neither. He keeps going. It it must have been close to lunchtime because he starts talking about food and wine. (laughs) Verse 17, he said, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. All right? and, and the picture is this. They would, uh, they would slay the animal, skin the animal. Sometimes it depends. They would, they would, it depends on how they, if they wanted to take the hair off the outside. Sometimes they could turn it inside out. But they're very careful to, to fix the, the containers. They were called wine skins, okay? And most of the time, they would, they would sew, up, sew up the legs where they, where they skin everything. And they would leave maybe the opening where the neck was, and that where they would pour the wine in, and they would pour it out of. And we know 
that though they, they did this and the, those wines would, I mean, the skins would be, would be new, they would be very flexible and very pliable. Wine has a way, wine has a power to it. Now, wine, as wine is, is fermenting, you probably don't know this, y'all are good church people, but <laughs> I want to tell you what happened one time at our house. Barbie was making grape juice. And Barbie makes the best grape juice in the world. And this batch was particular potent. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if we got, I don't, I don't know if it's too much sugar or, or what it was. And, and, and lidded that stuff off. Walked down in the basement one day and it smelt different. <laughs> and we looked, looked, and the, wine, the, the grape juice was alive. All right, it was coming out of the containers. Why? Because that stuff was, was that was. I never didn't know what happened to that, but we had fun for a while there. I don't know. I, I, no, no. I, uh, I better get back to it. what 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 Jesus says is this: is you don't take if 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 the if the grapes if the wine skins had been used and, they, and wine had been put in them and, and then they had got used and as they, grew, as they grew older, they got brittle. They got, they got kind of like a cast. They were hardened. They didn't give. They weren't flexible. And Jesus said, you pour a new batch of wine in them old skins and something's going to happen. Something's going to break out. Something's going to burst. The old skins can't hold the new wine. And I want to tell you something. And I love this picture. That the old bodies, the old man can't contain the spirit of God. That's why when he comes into our heart, he says he makes us a new creation. Behold, all things are gone. All things are new. Jesus Christ puts his spirit in new containers so that his power can go forth and do what he wants it to do. That's the good news of the gospel. Oh, I love this. You look at this and you read that and you think, wow. He wasn't just talking about patching up an old pair of coveralls. He wasn't just talking about, he was talking about who he is in light of what we need. And he is everything we need. He is all we need. But we need to know that we need him. It's not in our own self-righteousness. Remember looking at David and said, David, you don't qualify. <laughs> Tell me I don't qualify. You don't qualify for God's forgiveness and grace until we know we need it. I don't, I don't know. I was just trying to think about what's happened kind of here in, in this, this, so far in chapter nine, Jesus comes to Matthew and he says, follow me. And Matthew realizing the opportunity that's before him, that, that, that he, is, he has arrived, he has got his, his job, he has, he has got this contract with the government and he is set financially, he is set every way, but, it's, but it didn't do what the world said it would do. He's not satisfied. He's going to work every day. He's bringing home more money than he ever realized he ever could. But he's not satisfied. And one day the rabbi comes by and says, you need to come and follow me. Matthew follows him. Matthew can't wait to share what Jesus has done in his life with others. He throws a party. Folks, this, when, 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 when you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the living Lord, and he changes your life, you'll want to share it. 
you'll want, and, and you, don't, you, you don't have to tell it. I can remember when God did a just tremendous work in Zach's life, uh, and I kind of got the word through, through Jim and at, that, as they'd prayed and all that God done, and, and uh, I got tickled later on. I said, well, why didn't you tell? He said, I just wanted Jesus to see it first. <sighs> I like that. I like that. Just let me see it. Let me see it lived out. Matthew was showing it lived out. And not only that, but Matthew and Jesus wanted to be sure that we know the difference between just religious routine and real worship. I'm going to close with a song. No, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> some of you is already getting ready. I saw somebody reach in your pocket. Some of you are going up here. Turn it down, baby. Turn it down. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. I ran across the words of this. It's a John Newton song, but I don't think I, I don't think I'd ever, and that's not Newton, John, Elton John, John Newton. <laughs> but I, but I, re, I, I heard some of these words and now I looked this song up and, I, and as I looked it up, I realized, wow, how exactly this is what Jesus was talking about. Listen, listen to these words. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, Till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt it plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou might live. I do believe, I now believe that Jesus died for me and through his blood, his precious blood, I shall from sin be free. That's our Jesus. That's how much he loves us. Let's pray. Father, you still are searching for and looking out for and finding those who are in need of a Savior to call to repentance. Father, that's the good news. That's the good news to all the ears who aren't righteous in our own eyes. But we see ourselves as needy people before you, in need of your grace, in need of your mercy, in need indeed of your forgiveness. Father, this morning as we as we look at that and as we think on that, it's, 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 it's truly an humbling thing. It's truly a thing of our heart that, that beats not only your mercy and grace, but compassion in us toward others. The world may see them as scumbags and as deplorables, but Lord, you see us as sinners in need of a Savior. And you're glad to come to our house to bring new life. You didn't come to patch up old religion, you didn't come to pour your spirit into old containers, but you come to do a new thing. 
And that new thing is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Father, how awesome, how indescribably delicious you are in your love for us. Now, it's my prayer this morning, Lord, as we come to time of just kind of wrap up and pray and go to different directions. That's very possible, and I know that. It's very, very possible and maybe even probable that there are those people here this morning that have just been trying to do religion. Maybe they're like John's disciples. Maybe, maybe they've seen other people who were supposed to be religious and they're just trying to do what they do and, and they have no idea why they're doing it. That's just what we're supposed to do. Just supposed to go and do that and talk like this and say that and fix our hair this way and why are these kinds of... Oh, Lord, you're so much bigger than that. You came to do a new thing through your son, Jesus Christ. It's my prayer this morning that for anyone here that may have been trying to do religion, may have been working at it hard, but all that without a relationship with you, that this morning they would realize it's not what we've done, it's what you've done. And that you've came to, to seek not the righteous, but sinners, to call sinners to repentance. And this morning, unlike David who said, I, 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 don't, I don't need that, but today we would see our need before you and say, God, I, that's me. Hey, I need, I need that grace. I need that peace. I need your forgiveness. I really need your forgiveness. Lord, I, I need, I'm a needy person. And in total surrender and submission, we yield to you. Lord, your Holy Spirit is the one who does the calling and the drawing. Do that now. If that's you this morning, surely the altar is open if you'd like to come here. But you don't have to come here. You can, right where you sit, say, God, that's me. I realize it this morning. I can't fix it. I can't do enough religion. I can't be good enough. But the good news is I don't have to. Pastor said, your word said that Jesus came to die for me. Come into my life. Make me a new creation and pour your Holy Spirit in me to do a new thing would you pray that would you say come into my life right now Jesus by faith I trust you to do what you say you will do with heads bowed and eyes closed if you prayed that prayer and asked Christ to come in your life I'd love to raise your hand I want to pray for you this morning I'm not going to embarrass you but I want to pray for you just raise your hand up and then put it right back down let me know I'll be praying for you I'll see the hand other hands I see that hand there other hands be glad to pray for you as you just pray I see that hand back there as you just ask obey God's Holy Spirit Father you've moved all across the sanctuary this morning and it's your moving it's your power it's your drawing Father it's not a matter of some preacher talking somebody into something it's a matter of the Holy Spirit of God opening our eyes and letting us see our need and seeing that you are the answer to that now, God, you've done that this morning in these hands that have been raised, maybe even others right now. And I want to thank you. And Lord, I pray that the, the, the rest of this afternoon and as they walk forth from here, they'd walk forth in the trust and the realization that you have done a new thing. Your Holy Spirit now lives within them if they truly invited you in. They belong to you. Lord, grow them in that grace 
in the knowledge of who they are in you, Father, as that relationship grows. Let them hear your voice clearly. Let them be in your word to get to know you better. Read those love letters of how you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.